with no, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna welcome Ken Yankee, um, but a little bit of context. He's gonna share with us all three uh, sessions, which is gonna be such a joy uh, this weekend. Um, God has moved on his heart this year. He has uh, been a part of our oversight team for several years. We have an incredible group of, of uh, people who serve to love this church and keep our eldership in prayer and accountability that we can walk with. And Ken is one of those people. Um, and he, God moved on his heart this year as David's transition came. And he just said, I would like to come one week of every month for this whole year to help you guys. That's incredible. He has a, he has a very busy life to the tune of he's helping 40 counties in Tennessee think through their poverty strategy with the governor of Tennessee right now. Okay. Can I just, all right, so I'll just drop that one. This is who we're talking about. Okay, so we're working on a poverty strategy in a state, and he wants to come to help Nava for one week of every month, all right? Incredible, right? So, and he's kind of more excited about us than he has them, right, Ken? Thanks. All right. (laughs) Who cares about states when you've got us, right? So, um... What I want to say about Ken is uh, I could talk a lot about what he's done, and maybe some of those things will come up. I mean, mind-blowing adventures in the kingdom of God. I mean, the guy's been to more than 100 nations in the world. He served, you know, uh, people group movements and unreached nations for the last six years. I mean, on and on and on. He's worked in inner cities and across. But Ken is, is one of the most contagiously loving individuals that I have ever encountered. I asked him in the car, I was like, when did you start gushing with affection over everybody? Like, it's that noticeable. Like, you cannot be with Ken without hearing how loved you are for three minutes. It, and it, it's, so, it's so genuine and real and consistent over years of building relationship. He's contagiously loving, and he is contagiously hopeful. Um... And every time I'm with him, I believe for the goodness of God in the world, afresh. And I know that both the love and the hope of God with joy is going to burst into our lives over the next two days. And so it is such a joy to commend Ken to you with the highest level of trust as someone who is not coming from the outside, but very much feels like of and from and with. I mean, he spent the last two months meeting with every one of our home church leaders, and now he's with our whole team. And so he is here to serve, and we're really glad to receive him. So with no further ado, Ken Yonke. Yeah. I want to pray for you as you come. Cool. Plug it in. Plug it in, plug it in. Let's go. So, Lord, thank you for Ken. Let's all just reach a hand out. Lord, we pray for Ken to simply walk into the good works this weekend prepared in advance. He is a steward of dreams, and the greatest dream is every human being. We are the dream of God. And so I pray, Lord, as he stewards our lives and stewards the things in us, would you, Holy Spirit, move in this contingent of Nava? It's not the whole family this weekend, but who is here was planned to be here. And it's important. And it's going to overflow, just like Violet said, go and tell everyone else. (laughs) I thank you for the ripple effect of our hearts this week coming from Ken through us to those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you, man. I Glad to you. have you here. Thanks, buddy. Come on, dude. Hi, Nava. Great to be with you. 
You guys doing all right? Everybody comfortable in these uh, blue low-ride chairs? I love them, man. Hey, you got your Bible with you and you got your uh, pen and listen, we're going to take some notes today and uh, because we're going to we're going to be going on a journey together uh, over these next today and tonight and then in the morning that I think when we're all done, you're going to look back and go, oh, I see. I see the arc of the storyline that God is wanting to communicate. Right. And I am so thankful that those of you that are here are here. You are here, right? All right. That's good. Good. Everybody's here because um, you were like, you're like the yeast at Nava, right? So whatever comes out today and tomorrow and the next day, you guys get to come into the hole and begin to work that yeast of this narrative story that God wants to talk to us about. And, uh, and so I want you to take notes because I want you to help pass it along. I want you to enter into others' lives and talk about the goodness of God and what he's been stirring up in us over this next day and a half, okay? Some of you might not make it the whole day and a half, so you're going to need to get the notes from other people and get some time to say, now what happened when, this, when we got that far, what happened next? I want that kind of dynamic. So are you guys committed to doing that for everybody at Nava? Yeah. Oh, I see pen. I see a notebook. Oh, about on this side. We got no, yeah, there's some back there. Bless you, buddy. Uh, you're, you got your no, p- computer and everything. All right. Good, 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 good. All right. Some of us are serious about it, man. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. All right. So what are you going to talk about, Ken? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your pen, put your pencil on your lap there for a second. Just take your finger. And I want you to start up here. We're going to go around in a circle like that. Let's do that. Isn't that good? It works. Okay. So I'm going to fill in the blank. If you want to know what the big idea of this weekend is, is that the kingdom of God is about lovers who steward well the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given them in order to love what God loves. Okay, now you can now you can pick up the pen. All right, the kingdom of God. How many of y'all in here kingdom people? Come on. The kingdom of God is about lovers. That's you, by the way. You're the lovers. I didn't hear any amens on that. Dave, you're a lover. You're thinking about it. Don't think about it. Just get in it. Put on the clothes. Jump, jump into those pants. Put on that love shirt. And do it. Do it. Do it. Oh, okay. Kingdom of God is about lovers who steward well the gifts, talents, abilities that God has given you so that or in order for you to be able to love what God loves. Y'all get that? Kingdom of God is about lovers who steward it well, gifts, talents, and abilities in order to love what God loves. I'm so glad you're on the front row because I'm going to mess with you. This is the last time I was in here. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Come on. I know. I, listen, I did a podcast. 
I did a podcast the other day with, uh, who was, oh, Jeremy Bryant. Y'all know who Jeremy, Jeremy was a part of for a long time. He's back in Wisconsin now. And the way it started was him telling this story about the one time he preached at Nava and he's getting started and he gets heckled by Dave Blackwell. He's like, heckled in the middle of my message by the pastor. By the pastor. Yeah. So I'm ready for your heckling, buddy. All right. So now, now that I've told you what I'm going to talk about, now what I want you to do, put down your pen again, take your hands and hold them like this. Yeah? And I just want you to do this. Watch what I do and you do it. Yeah. Okay. That's you flipping over tables in your life. Because, yeah, let's, 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 are you guys ready to be... Are you ready to be disrupted? Yes. Are you ready to be challenged in what you really believe about what you say you believe? Are you really, are you really ready to say, I'm ready to flip over some freaking tables and get busy changing the paradigm of what I've allowed to program what I think that informs what I do? And who I do it with. And who I do it for. Because I believe that that's what God wants to do. Um, he's, he's here right now. Everybody say hi. Hi, Lord. He's here and he wants to disrupt some things in our lives. And he wants to turn over some tables and he wants to change some things. And I want you to be ready for that. Because we got to kind of posture ourselves and, with anticipation that Something new is going to have to change. You know, how many guys are business people in the room? How many business people in the room? Yeah, got some in here. Okay, so if I, I went to business college, business school. Yeah, and one of the things I read, Druckard. Everybody know who Druckard is? He used to say, doing the same things over and over again. No, he didn't say that. He said, oh, I remember. He said, you see, sorry. <laughs> he said, um, Culture eats strategy, strategy for breakfast. For breakfast. <laughs> culture eats strategy for breakfast. So hopefully you had a good breakfast today. What, for those of that aren't graduates of business college and what the heck is he talking about right now is that we can have all the strategy, all the things figured out, point A to point Z, you know, dot, 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 dot. But if the culture, how we, and what is culture? How we believe, how we show up, how we act, that forms a culture, right? If the culture isn't right, I don't care how strategic you are. It will eat up all of your strategy. All right? So I believe the Lord wants to shift some paradigms that have been infecting some of our strategies about how we live our lives, how we show up in the world. And again, if the kingdom, and we are kingdom people, is about lovers mm -hmm. who steward well their gifts and their talents and their abilities to love what God loves, then, then we, we need to get ready today to embrace that journey. So this morning what I thought we'd do is we'd start talking about 
God and his story. And, uh, and so I want to start there this morning. So would you just put your hand on your heart? And I'm just going to pray real quick and we're going to jump into this thing. Father, in the name of Jesus, we set our affection on you. We fix our, our heart and our eyes of our heart to you and ask you, Lord God, would you do some work in our lives to adjust what needs to be adjusted, to undo thinking that has kept us stuck in a rut? And would you awaken in us an excitement, an anticipation of what it is that you want to reveal to us in this room, that it would so wreck us God, I want to be wrecked by you. I want to be wrecked by you. I want to be so raptured by your embrace and your love and your affection that I am ready. I'm ready to do and be and live the way that you designed me to be. God, we yield to you this morning and we set our hearts on you. Tell us your story, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever thought, why is it that every time you hear the words, once upon a time, you're hooked, right? Yeah, tell me that story. Curious to know what those words are going to mean. Once upon a time, there was a creator, God, who's crazy in love with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. You see, the God story, before it's anything else, the God story before it's anything else is God's way of telling you who God is and who you are in light of who God is. And some of us, if we're real honest, I, don't, I mean, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and there's still stuff in my life that I'm like, I, I bought into something that about who I am that ain't even true. What the heck? How did that happen? How does that keep happening? I, I just want to, <laughs> I want to be formed in the image of my creator and shaped by him and his words over me. And so, Lord, undo in me what needs to be undone that I can be the fullness of who you meant me to be. And to embrace the work that you created in advance for me to do. Come on. Psalms 8, verses 4 through 8 says this. What is a human being that you are mindful of him? That's so cool. <laughs> the Lord is mindful of us. Okay. A son and daughter of man, that you care for him and her. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned him and her with glory and honor. And just every one of you in this room are crowned with glory and honor. You made him and her ruler over the works 
of your hands, God. Okay, hang on just a minute. The works of God, he's called you to be the ruler over those works. If you need a job description today, listen up, man. You made him and her ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. The reason I'm pausing and taking time is because when I was praying before I came over to the room, the Lord said, he said, listen, today I'm going to speak. And I'm like, huh, that's what I always wanted. He's like, no, you don't understand. Go slow and give room because when you pause, I'm going to speak. And the Lord is speaking to you right now. He's reminding you of some things that he's already said that you forgot. And he's telling you right now that I'm ready to disrupt the way you've been living, the way you've been showing up, the way you've been thinking in your life, because I'm resetting the culture of Nava. I'm resetting the culture of Nava, and I'm preparing my sons and my daughters who are the heirs of this kingdom to rule and have authority over everything that I've made because that is who they are. And before you were even born, the Lord was creating good works for you to do in advance. You like that one? I like that too. And you see, the problem is is that the, the world is telling us so many lesser stories. And, and the problem is, is that when you start absorbing those lesser stories, a script starts to form in your mind. And subconsciously, we become characters in a counterfeit story. See, yours and mine, our vocation is involved in nothing less than the expanding of the borders of Eden throughout the whole of the earth to multiply the blessing of God and extend His loving reign. When, when I talk to people about their vocation, you know, and that's one of the most common questions we love to ask when we're getting to know. So what do you do for a living, Right? So what's your job? And for a lot of us, we've been told that what we do is who we are. And it's defined and shaped how we show up in a room, what we commit to, how we commit to, right? I want to change the word vocation from your job this morning. I want you to think of your vocation as your voice. So vocation comes from the root vox. Yes. Yes. And your, your, your voice is your vox, your voice. The idea here is that you can do anything as long as you know who you are 
and you know what your contribution is and how to show up every day committed to bringing that contribution into the world. I can sell shoes at the department store and still be true to who God called me to be. I'm Dreamweaver. I'm here to Stuart Dreams. It's my cape. It's my magic cape. When I was a kid, man, when my mom wasn't paying attention, I would go into the cupboard and I would put on, I would go and I'd get the towel, you know, and I'd drape it around my neck. And then I'd jump from furniture to furniture as if I was flying through the house. For some of us today, we forgot how to fly. Where is that, that, that boy and that girl that's full of wonder, that's excited to fly again, that's forgotten how to take flight? I actually have a cape. And sometimes when I'm at home, I just put my cape on. And I just, I know it's weird. It's weird. I just put my cape on and I walk around with my cape on. It has a big red K on the back. That's for Ken, by the way. And, uh, and, and I, I remind myself, it's time to soar, baby. It's time to get some air up underneath this thing. It's time to take flight. Some supermen and superwomen up in this room. Your, your job, what you do, it's not what you do, it's who you are. And who you are is what you say. Out of the abundance of the, of the heart, the mouth doth speak. Wow. It's time to start declaring. By the end of this weekend, I hope you're ready to just fly up here on your chair and declare to everybody, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. And this is how I'm going to start showing up. Wow. I'm committed to it. <laughs> you ready? Fly. Fly. I wish I had brought my cape. I could use it right now. <laughs> so back to the story of God, right? We're called to co-create the culture of Eden with our heavenly father in all of life. Listen, the plan was the earth was a garden and we were to walk in the cool of the garden in relationship and intimacy with the Father and, and we were to have authority and care. There was, a, there was a beautiful thing that was emerging and then we decided we didn't want to do it quite the way he had said for us to do it. And that's a risk, isn't it, when God gives you the choice to choose I mean, sometimes we're so afraid of risk, aren't we? Fear. Where did that come from? Fear came when sin entered our lives. And it's this sneaky little thing that keeps popping its head up and telling us we aren't, we can't, we should. But there's another thing that God wanted. He wanted to co-create with you. 
Now listen, I'm a dad. I got children. And my kids, when they were little, would come up to me and say, Dad, I'm going to be an astronaut. And I didn't say, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You don't even know how to do math. And I think astronauts have to do a lot of math. You don't, you don't even own a telescope. You know? No, I, that wasn't what I did. What did I do? I put the cape on them. I pulled them up to the table. I got out a piece of paper, slapped it down there. said, all right, man, you're going to be an astronaut. So what do we got to do first? Let's talk about it. Let's make some notes. Let's plan. You know? And we started moving towards astronaut until like midday afternoon. It was a basketball star. <laughs> and then I said, all right, man, let's get a piece of paper. Slap that down on paper. All right, let's go. What do we got to do? Guys. I'm an earthly father. And if I know that I want to champion and get behind my children, please understand, flip over the table and realize that God is standing in front of you saying, I freaking love you. And I love it when you dream. And I love it when you come up with ideas. And let's do it, okay? I'll go, all, I'll go all the way with you. Now, some of you might say, well, what if I come up with an idea or a dream that really wasn't the thing that God wanted me to do? I mean, God's sovereign, right? So it sounds like you're saying you can just kind of go off and do your own thing and woo and, and all that good stuff. But, you know, we got to stay in the box, right? We got to... Listen, if I... By the way, I'm from Kansas. It feels good to be home. Um, I was born in Wichita, Kansas. But if I said, and I live right now in Colorado, Castle Rock, Colorado, I always tell people the Lord summoned me to the castle. So um, I live in Castle. If I got out a map right now and I drew on the map the, the, the route that I was going to take, somebody in here going, what's a map? <laughs> I'm like, Sorry, I'm a little old. If I got out that road atlas, <laughs> road atlas, road atlas, we're heading down the road. If I got out the road atlas and I said, here's where I'm at and that's where I want to go, I'd probably choose the most direct, straight route. But sometimes I kind of, oh, I'm like, oh, that looks pretty good. I'll go over here. Oh, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do something like that. Oh, hey, that's pretty and, but eventually, because the Lord is sovereign, we get to where we're supposed to be. The Lord puts the desires in our heart. We can trust that. Scripture says that. It's promise. It's really, trust me, it is really hard to miss God. He's for you. Listen, if I wasn't for you, I'd send you all over the place. I'd put you in a labyrinth and make you wander around forever because I'm not a nice guy. But the Lord doesn't do that. The Lord is so for you. He wants you to succeed. Why? Because your life and your story is connected to his overarching storyline. And tonight we're going to talk about your story and how it connects with God's story. But God is so committed to you being authentically who you are. 
And he wants you to dream because he wants you to co-create with him. You are formed in the image of your creator. So he's a creator and he loves it when you start to go, you know what? I think it'd be fun, God, to do some of that. <laughs> Let's go do it. Come on. I think I want to show up this way. Okay, let's do it. Right? Okay, back to God's story. God is not interested in throwing out his partnership with humanity. So God joins us in the dust. Remember, we were formed in the dust taken out, then brought into the garden that he created for us to walk and be in relationship with him and enjoy intimacy with him and friendship with him and all the goodness that comes with that. But no, because of our disobedience, rather God joins us in the dust and shows us that true life is about unity with God and that our death, our death, because we all have to die, our death, man, our death is temporary. It's tragic, but it's not our ultimate end. And so often, we're so like trying to hold on and protect what we got and not like making choices out of fear, making choices that doesn't put us in too much risk. Because we gotta, I wanna keep what we got, I don't wanna lose anything. So we're, we're living like this. And God's saying, <laughs> when you die, you don't die. Why are you acting like that's the end? I remember I was in Ireland, and, uh, and I, I was at this monastery. I love staying at monasteries, cheaper than hotels, by the way. Um, and they usually have some good fresh bread and coffee, maybe some jam if you're with the right brothers. Anyway, I was staying in the monastery, and, uh, and I'm sitting there and just chilling, and this priest, he's probably about 85, 80, 90. I don't know how old he was. He's old. And... Uh, and he comes up to me, and he goes, hey, would you like to have a tour of the monastery? And I said, yeah, yeah. I started to put my book down, and the next thing I know, I look up, and this, this old guy, he's taking his robes, pulled them up like this, right? And he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guess I better follow him. Hang on. And so I'm like trying to keep up with this guy who's like a bullet out down the hall, around the corner. I'm just trying to keep up. He goes out the door. He goes down this hedge line, turns left, goes down the turns. I'm like trying to catch up with him. Finally, I turn the last corner, and there he is standing in a field. And around him are all these tombstones. And he says, this is where I'm going to be buried when I die. I'm thinking, I thought we were doing a tour of, and you've taken me to the graveyard. And he says, uh, he says, watch this. And he pulls up his skirt 
or whatever that thing is. He pulls that thing up, and he goes, he goes like this. He goes, one, two, three, one. Right here. Right here. This is where, this is where I'm going to get buried. Right? And then he looks at me with a smile on his face, and he puts his finger right in my chest, and he goes, until you put death in your calendar, you'll never really live. And he leaves me standing in the graveyard. Oh, that was the weirdest old man priest guy I've ever met. <laughs> and what he was, what I, what I deducted from all that, and it's true, he was so true. He's like, until you realize you're freaking going to die. And you're so busy trying to guard and protect and keep your life so safe and so tidy and so put together that you're not even willing to risk and obey the Father until you make a decision that you're going to die, you'll never, ever really start to live. So God's not interested in throwing out your partnership with him. Instead, God is so excited about you living. So let's decide today to stop thinking about the end. Because you got a lot of living to do. And we don't even realize that the way we're ordering our lives and the culture that we've built around us is actually death. People learn to survive outside the garden when it was our time to go. And that's what we've done. We've learned how to survive outside the garden. We fight our enemies. We toil to make the earth produce fruit. And we suffer. However, the infinite creator God, the God of the cosmos becomes a true human and experiences the same death that we're going to experience. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, that Jesus was made to be sin for us, even though he knew no sin. His death, his resurrection together should shout to you and I. We're only a week away from when we celebrated Easter, which should make us want to shout, the lifeless end that I fear is not real. Let love for God replace your fear of death and start living. New creation. You're going to hear that a lot from me today. The new creation, so if Eden was the creation, there's a new creation because we kind of jacked that one up a little bit, right? And God is not done. You know, he didn't create seven days and then go sit up in a rocking chair and say, ah, I'm done. Good luck. Glad none of you believe that. 
And I'm really grateful for that because he didn't. He's still working. He's partnering with you. He's listening to your dreams and your stories of what you want to do. He's actually helping you tie the, the towel around your neck and helping you jump. And he's excited that you're taking risks and believing that all things are possible. Amen? All right. Jake, how are we doing back there on the board? Thank you, bro, for helping me. I love you. You're amazing. How many, this guy, I've been coming here forever. And he's always so faithful. Jake! What a treasure. What a treasure. I love that brother. Man, oh man, oh man. Okay, now. New creation is our mandate. Do you know you have a mandate on your life? Yes. Mm-hmm. You do. Right square on your chest. Great birthmark. Mandate. Kingdom. New creation. Mandate. And it's to live a new way. Here's the paradigm. Here's one of the... I don't want it to sneak up on you. I'm just going to announce it before it gets there. Here's a paradigm. There's a new life that you're supposed to be living that resembles the garden and carries the values of the kingdom into the now world. Because our work, our assignment, is to make all things new. So everything, that means every sphere of society, business, culture, Art, entertainment, whatever it is that you're happening to be bringing your voice to, I didn't say job, vocation, voice, whatever you're bringing your voice and your contribution to, you're there to not just get a paycheck or to be frustrated that it's not the best place that you'd hoped for, but to say, <laughs> I'm a secret agent, man, I'm a secret Agent man, is that dating me too? Yeah, you got it. You got me. All right. So we're secret agents, planted to bring and restore and make new all things. Everybody say all things, not just a few things. All things to extend Eden on earth. Our Father, who art in heaven. Pray it with me. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Stop there. How do we get more of heaven to earth? Now listen, I, I, I believe that our God is a good God and a loving Father. So, Again, as an earthly father, I don't go around telling lies to my children, right? I don't ask them to do something that they can't do. That's kind of mean, isn't it? To ask somebody, never mind, to ask somebody to go, to go do something that, that they can't do. So it, 
so I'm just offering the idea to you this morning that maybe it's possible to make earth look more like heaven. <laughs> okay, we got some wake up going on now. So if that's possible, then why are we so settled to live ordinary, boring, uneventful, unscary lives? Okay, I can feel the room. How's it going? How are you doing? Everybody okay? In new creation, we can start forgiving and loving instead of hating and judging. Let's just get real simple, right? Restore all things. Just the act of loving is new creation. Because everything around us and everything comes at us to make us hate, be critical, to judge, to fight, to take our swords up in our hands and go to battle. That's not new creation. In new creation, we forgive, we love, we start to bless and not curse. I hate my job. I hate that whatever. Wait a minute. We begin to hammer our violent swords into fruitful garden tools. If you need a reference for that, that's found in Isaiah chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4. It literally says we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to take all the things that we have been using to go to war with each other. And man, our world is so polarized. And we just keep polarizing more and more and more. And we're supposed to take every instrument, every tool that we use to fight to fight for our, th it's my right. I'm an American. No, you're a kingdom son of the living God. We'll get to that. That's way better. We're supposed to pound those things into what? Gardening tools. Why, why garden tools? <laughs> because you were made for a garden. <laughs> we're so, in the church, we're so at war with culture. But what if culture was a garden? And we were supposed to tend the garden, not go to war with it. What would that look like? Just trying to introduce some new perspective, some new paradigms of how we have to show up in this world. See, the invitation that you are receiving to mission, that invitation is to take up your fruitful garden tools and live as people of the future in the present. 
another paradigm. As sons and daughters of the king, we don't get to live like this is our home. We are future people. <laughs> See, people who wear capes, those are future people. Well, you don't need a cape to live here. You do need a cape to live in the future. <laughs> yeah, baby. So we are future people living in the present. And if you need a scripture to back that up, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Built better, made Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will what? Make you. make you. You don't make yourself. See, some of us are living and working as if I'm going to perform my way into a better me. The Lord makes us. We got a lot of people in the world that are self-made. You are not self-made. Your performance does not matter. Because you're future people made by Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, because of all that, you are the advanced notice. You're the, you're the ones that everyone's, I just wish someone would show me a different way. I wish someone would show up in this world. And show me how to garden. We are the advance notice, a sign, a sign of what is coming. Not just for your little thing, but for the whole world. One plus 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 one. Eventually, the whole world discovers how we're to live because you're a sign. You're an advance warning. Our work in this present world is to offer a glimpse into the future of a world that is completely set free from evil and death. And do you know what that means? That, that, I mean, let me just say that again. We are the advance notice, a sign of what is coming for the world. And our work in this present world, we're future people living in the present. Our work in this present world is to offer a glimpse of the future world set free from evil and death. And do you know what that means? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My master, my teacher told me that. And I believe it. Do you believe it? Now listen, it's one thing to say we believe something. It's a whole nother way to actually live what you say you believe. The kingdom of God is about 
We wrote it down. It this whole, the whole weekend is about this. Lovers, Lovers who steward well, well, in order to, to love what God loves. Okay? That's another way of me saying, you just can't say, I believe in the kingdom, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe this way. Like, you actually have to live it. You have to become that lover. And you actually have to start doing this kind of work. And, and that will interrupt, <laughs> sorry, it will disrupt, it will turn over the tables in your life because you have to let go of something in order to take hold of the future. You can't be future people living in the present, hanging on to the present. So this is one of those moments where I think the Lord would want to say to you, what, what is the thing that you are hanging on to, white-knuckling to death, and, and cheating yourself from the good intentions that I have for your life. Come, Jesus. So, for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand, it implies that the kingdom of heaven is now. It implies that it's available. And it implies that there's a king. If there's a kingdom, there's a king. And guess what? We're not the king. And we, remember how I said, we learn from the right story of the God story who we are in light of who God is. And the world is trying to tell us a different script to believe in that says you are the God in your own story. And you get to do whatever you want to do. And your story is a beautiful story that maybe some in the room have already started living and some of you don't even know how to get started. But hold on, we're going to get there if you stay. <laughs> okay, so listen. We are the subjects of the king's rule. We'll talk more about that later. So what does God dream about? God's dream is the restoration of all things through Jesus back to his original design. When, when I was a young boy, my parents would always say, God don't make no junk. I mean, God doesn't like tinker around like we do and like, pow, that looks good. And, you know, two and a half years later, your computer is outdated. Your cell phone doesn't work anymore. And you got to get a new one. Because when he designs stuff, he designs it the best. So God hasn't given up on the original plan. He's just said... This is Ken Yonke. This is probably not God. Okay? It's probably not God. 
God might say, all right, Dave, I made that freaking garden for you. And you were enjoying it for a little while, and then you got on your own and started doing your own thing. And then what happened? Went to hell in a handbasket. And guess what? Now, it's your responsibility to help me restore all that. Because I still believe, and I still love you, and I, that is the best place for you. So there is a new creation mandate on our lives as sons and daughters to, to make things and restore things back to the way God intended it to be in Eden. That's God's dream. Now, I already introduced the idea of the kingdom, right? Let's talk about that for a minute. Kingdom versus empire. The gospel calls us out of empire and into the kingdom of God. Now, let me pause for a second. You, some of you are new to Nava. Some of you have been around for a long time. And there's been a call on this church. I can say this as an oversight team member because I've been sitting, watching and participating for a long time. And God, I believe, in this hour, in this season, as part of his new creation and his renewal of all things, he's been saying, the church the way she is can accomplish what I want done. And so we've got to renew the church. What did I say? Renew all things. That means even the thing that we're a part of. And so... God has been doing this really wild and crazy. Tie your freaking cape, climb up on your chair, and surf the waves with God into the future in this church. And man, it's been hard, and it's been bumpy, and it's been scary, and it's been confusing. But you're still here. And you're an incredible, prayerful family on mission with God. And so, some people didn't want to go along for the ride. And that's not me throwing any rocks. I'm just going, you know, it's hard. And for you that have been through that, I'm going to use this word. You felt what it feels like to get taken out of Egypt. The problem is there's still some Egypt in you. So you, you can take people out of Egypt. Like, I grew up in Oklahoma. Don't hold it against me. I was born in Kansas, but I grew up in Oklahoma. And so... There's still some Oklahoma in me, unfortunately. <laughs> Anybody else from Oklahoma? Yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so you can take the boy out of Oklahoma, but there's still some Oklahoma in the boy. I'm telling you this, even if it hair lifts a mule. What does it mean? I don't know what it means, but it's Oklahoma. 
You never heard that one? You have now. Okay, so on this journey, following the cloud and all the journey roads that it took you, trying to just listen to the Father, be obedient, and keep going, God has taken you out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into some wilderness so that he can get the rest of Egypt out of you to prepare you for the work that you were created to do. So one of the things that we have to evaluate in our own lives is what is the Egypt that's still in me? Like that, that longing, God, just miss it when the freaking big old band is playing and we're just rocking out. and Doesn't mean we can't still do that every once in a while. Just means it's not there every day. People get really frustrated when things change. Somebody once said, only the baby that cries likes to change. Wet baby, I should say. Um, Exodus 3, verse 8 through 10 says this. So I, the Lord, your God, have come down to rescue you from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you in to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And since the fall of man, since we sinned and rebelled in the Garden of Eden, God has always invited us to come out and be separated. And to live the kind of life that I'm trying to explain to you today and to fulfill the God story by living your life the way God intended you to live it in opposition to the way the world tells you you need to live. But in the new imagination as future people in the kingdom of God, it's going to require you to separate and get all that Egypt crap out of you so that you can fully manifest as kingdom sons and daughters of God. God wants to take us out of, out of empire and into family. This word family is not this fun Nava word that, you know, it's another way of saying church. No, 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 no. We were always intended to be a family in the garden. And then we started building fiefdoms and kingdoms of our own that were really not kingdoms. We called them kingdoms, but they were really empires. He wants to take empire out of us and put us in family and take us out of captivity and give us the kingdom. He wants to take you out of Egypt and into his presence and into his kingdom rule. The kingdom and the empire, they're different. I know you know that intellectually, but let me just, 
highlight for just a minute because this is, again, this is all part of the story of God. He's trying to help you see you can't keep living like you're an empire person. You weren't built to be an empire person. You were built to be kingdom people. And you've got to put on your kingdom clothes and start living into it and get all that Egypt crap out of you. The kingdom and the empire, they differ in two fundamentally different ways. There's two fundamentally different ways that they do life. They're different mindsets, different belief systems. This is what I'm talking about, about paradigm shifting, turning over tables. They're two fundamentally different loyalties. Your loyalty is unto the king because you're the subject of the king. See, empires advance exercising power over. While the kingdom of God advances by exercising power under. This is why created in the image of a, of a king, a servant-hearted king named Jesus, who came to what? Serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. We can't be kingdom people if we're still powering up to go take something. We lay everything down. We come in low. We slide in and we lift. And we what? We love. Greater man has no love than he gives his life for another. Where'd you hear that one before? Right. The servant-hearted king said it about himself. It's Jesus. I've come to serve. If you want to know the way of my way, it is to serve. Empires are rooted in preserving, if not advancing, one's self-interest and one's own will. Like, well, I won't even go there because we'll open up a can of worms. The kingdom of God is centered exclusively on carrying out whose will? The king's will. Even if this requires us to sacrifice our own interests, our own comfort, our own security. The empire motto is this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the kingdom of God, however, participants carry the cross, not the sword. The kingdom of God is about lovers who steward well their gifts, talents, and abilities in order or so that they can love what God loves. And lovers are those who know what love is because they've been loved. The father's love for his sons and his daughters is where we begin to understand how to love the way God loves. So I want to talk for a moment about our gospel identity. The empire says what you do determines who you are. That's why we, I think, why we get so much identity and so much like from our jobs and from the pats that we get at work and the promotions and the stuff that we, you know, 
what you do does not determine who you are. That's going to be really important when we get to start talking about your, your mission in life, your story. Because the way we've tried to model mission has been something very different than that. Mission is something you do. It's something you build. It's something you accomplish. It's not a lifestyle. It's not learning how to be a lover who loves what God loves. It's not that at all. That's, mission is that. We'll get to that. The gospel says who we are determines what we do. That's worth writing down, just in case you want to know. The gospel says who we are determines what we do. I asked you if you had your Bibles. I want you to open them real quick. I'll come to the home stretch here. That's okay. Open your Bibles to Luke 15. And we're going to look at, we're going to kind of bounce around from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32, okay? I'm not going to, I'm not going to take time just because of, of our time. I'm not going to read it all to you. But maybe in your Bible, it says above there, the story of the prodigal son. Yeah? Hey, I want to tell you something. This ain't about the prodigal son. This story, we, it says it, I know it says it in the Bible, but it has nothing to do with the prodigal son. It's about the father's love. And you know how I know? The first two, two sentences. What's it say, Adam? Of which verse? The very first, Luke 15 there to start, where it starts telling the story. Parable of... There was a man who had two sons. Oh, the story is about a man. Which man? The father. <laughs> Your father. This story we're about to look at for a minute is about your daddy who had two sons. And the father wants to show you something about your identity found in the father, your belovedness, your sonship, your daughtership. This is what I want you to take away. You were built for a kingdom. The reason we struggle with understanding that we're sons and daughters is because we're still living like we live in an empire. And we're still striving for empire. We're still wanting the things we once had. Let go of it. That it we're, we're future people. We're not present past people. We're future people. We were created to advance the kingdom of God as sons and daughters, royal heirs, everything under our feet, to rule and reign. This is what we were created for. And we're created to renew all things that were broken over here by our sin and rebellion in order to establish what God wants to do in all of the earth. Okay. The gospel has always been about a heavenly father who wants to gain access to you. And so both the sons in this story, they knew the father's love. If you're familiar with this story, they both knew the father's love. But in them, they felt fatherless and homeless. You see, home, <laughs> again, in the empire... 
That's the three-bedroom, two-bath, um, pool-in-the-backyard home. Do you know what home is in the kingdom? In the presence of God. That's our home. Where we get to live right now, that's the goodness of God. But the only thing that matters as kingdom people is the presence of God. And you are never home outside of the presence of God. Home is the presence of God. Say to your neighbor, home. You are not homeless. You have a home. It's in the presence of the Father. You see, it's possible to have an encounter with Christ, but never receive the spirit of a son and a daughter. And as a result, we walk as fatherless and homeless. And when homeless is in effect in our lives. So I'm going to help you to see so that you can examine and see, am I, do, do I struggle? I, you know, a lot of us, I mean, I've heard so many sermons on sonship. I've heard a lot about, we're all adopted, right? I've heard those say, listen, <laughs> it's so important. It's so critical. We've got to have a talk about it. The Lord has spread out the blanket here and he's put us all around. He's like, okay, I got something I got to tell you. Because you forgot. You're home right now because you're with me. This is what home feels like. You're home. And I want you to know something. If you're still feeling homeless and fatherless, it's because rebellion is at work in your life. A sure sign of working rebellion out of our lives is stepping into our sonship. When we understand who we are, we stop rebelling. We just receive the Father's love. And if it isn't rebellion, it's religion. Some of the Egypt that's got to get out of us is some of the old practices that we were taught and learned that we kind of like if we're honest because it kind of looks nice, feels right, but it's just dead religion. Religion and rebellion are the two effects that take place in our lives when we don't know that we're a son or a daughter of the loving, living God. When, when fatherlessness or homelessness is our identity, we become achievers. Again, we, which takes us back into Egypt. We start striving, start got to build the empire, got to do the thing, got to... We start achieving, striving, either through rebellion, I'm going to be the best drunk I can be. Or I'm going to be the best religious person so that people, when they look at me, they see me as I want them to see, but they have no idea what's going on inside because I am lost as a goose. I'm homeless. 
and I don't know that the Father loves me. But I keep showing up, smiling. But I'm not going to let you in my life because if I let you in my life, you'll see really what's going on. So I'll never experience family. When sonship is our identity, we become receivers. Which comes first, giving or receiving? Most people say giving because we've been taught in the empire that if I give you something, then I can expect to receive. But actually, nothing you have, nothing you have, all things come because he first gave to us. So receiving comes before giving. And if you haven't received the Father's love to the place that it has transformed your life, to know that you're a son and a daughter and you belong to him and he affectionately, desperately loves you and he wants you to go with him into the work of the king, then, then you are still achieving rather than receiving. We become receivers and we begin to understand that all that the Father has is ours. For a son and a daughter, the greatest revelation is to know that you belong Verse 20 of the passage I'd ask you to look at says this. So he got up, talking about the first son, he got up and he went to the father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to the servant, quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, but he's found. So they began to celebrate. See, see this chair right here? I'm going to put this chair right here so you can see it. Do you know what this chair is called? This is the chair of belonging. Chair of belonging. There's a passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7, that says this about the chair of belonging. It says, and God raised us up with Christ. And he seated us, everybody said, and he seated us, he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming age, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What is this coming age? New creation. New creation is the coming age. And we're building it. And he's building it so he can come and seat us at the table of his blessing and lavish us. But he wants to do that right now in this room. If we fail to fully receive the spirit of a son 
and a daughter will operate as an orphan or a slave. And that's exactly what we see in the rest of this passage. The first son is the orphan because he doesn't feel he belongs. He looks to make his own home. He's homeless. Sets out, takes all the money that was rightfully his, goes out, wastes it, trashes his life. The orphan spirit makes us feel, now listen, listen to this carefully because this is, some of you can identify like, ooh, that's, I feel that. Oh, slave, ooh. Because the orphan spirit makes us feel insecure with God and others. We don't realize how loved we really are. The orphan spirit leads us to interpret things in a negative light. Oh man, everything's just falling apart. I've spent my whole life doing that and it's never going to be any good. Our perception is skewed to make us feel like we failed or didn't quite measure up. It causes people, the orphan spirit, causes people to think God will not work on their behalf. The orphan thinks he can negotiate the terms of his behavior so he can sit in the chair at the father's home and belong. But we see in Luke 15, verse 19, says, I no longer am worthy. This is him negotiating. This is what we do. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so just make me like one of your hired servants so I can at least come near. The second son, well, that's the slave. And the slave acts to gain acceptance and approval. Luke 15, verse 25, reading through 27, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and the older brother became what? Angry. He became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But the older son said, When the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fatted calf. You see, the slave believes he must perform to gain the father's love. It, it's at the root of fear, really. Performance comes out of our fear. The spirit you received does not make you slaves, it says in Romans 8. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him you cry, Abba, Father. The slave works to belong. Some of us are just work, 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 perform, perform, perform. Oh, we're doing that mission thing? Okay, uh, I don't really want another mission thing. we got to go do that thing in the park where we're all going to like bring food and like walk around to help you and walk around threes. Okay, we're going to walk around in threes and tell people about Jesus. And then we're going to like have lunch and bring the ones who get saved so we can talk about how to get them into the church. And none of that's bad. But it's like, 
If it's done in religion, it's done in works, it's done in performance, I got to do that because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Luke 15, verse 29, the slave says, the older son, but he answered his father and he said, look at me. All these years, I have been slaving for you. And I've never disobeyed you. Yet you have never once gave me what I want. Does he really want to celebrate with his friends over some meat? But that was the issue. And there's been so many church splits and people leave over this, that, and the other thing because, come on, man. But the understanding of the son is that they belong. Man, I want you to understand today that you belong to the father, that you're an heir, that you're royalty, that you belong in this chair. When you experience sonship as an heir, you understand that you're positioned to have authority on this earth. The son rests in his security of his father's positioning of him. Not that he positioned himself or she positioned herself, but that the father, this is where I am. So I'm going to show up with everything I got, with my cape on, with my identity secure, and I'm going to be on mission. Because mission is not what I do. Mission is who I am. No fear of the future. Because you're future people. You're at peace with what's, where you're at, not knowing what is to come, but trusting that the Father is going to establish what He promised, and I'm just going to be about going with Him and doing and renewing and making new and digging and making the garden ready. Failure is not a statement of identity. Failure is not your statement of identity. When I fall, I am still loved. I'm a steward of what my Father has entrusted to me. Kingdom of God is about lovers who what? Steward. Okay, just reinforcing that. We're going to hear that a lot. I'm a steward of what my Father has entrusted to me. I possess nothing but what is His. See, that doesn't work in empire. But it works real, real clear in kingdom. Because I know I belong. This is what the son says. Because I know I belong. I believe the promises of my father. Luke 15, 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Stop the train. Hold it. Did you catch that? Everything is yours. Everything that he has, he's freely given to you. You lack nothing. But that's not the voice you hear, is it? The voice says, we don't have enough. 
wish I could be a part, but we, just, we don't have anything to offer. Romans 8, 14 through 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption as sons and daughters. And that's why we say, Abba, Father. When you become a son or a daughter, you become a lover. Remember? You become lovers. You start loving other people because your heart breaks for the things that break the Father. Most of y'all live in Missouri. What's the motto of Missouri? Show me state. My wife used to say to me all the time, you know, you can tell her spiritual love language is, but she'd say, don't tell me you love me. Show me. I said, you're from Missouri, aren't you, baby? <laughs> so you guys know this, right? Because of what the Father has done to love you and establish you and bring you home and rescue you out of Egypt and into the kingdom, subjects of his rule, and he's a good ruler. He's a faithful, loving father. We sing it all the time. Do we really believe it? Sons and daughters know the love of the father. When you allow the father to love you, guess what happens? You feel lovable. Do you feel lovable right now? This is where the, the Father wants to speak to you. Do you feel lovable right now? So many times we go into the mirror, and we look at the mirror and we're like, but when you feel lovable, you start to love. <laughs> it's true. That's why it's so, it's so critical that you understand who you are. You understand that you're a son and a daughter and he loves you because then all of a sudden you start to find your value. You start to realize who you are. That you're his precious. That the affection of the Father is around you. And when you start to feel loved, you become lovable. And it makes you want to love others, doesn't it? Kingdom of God is about lovers who steward well their gifts, talents, and abilities in order to love what God loves. And when we understand that being a son and a daughter means you can bring heaven to earth, this becomes your whole life purpose. Hallelujah. The moment you know that the Father believes in you, you're transformed. Metanoia has taken place in your life. Everything's been disrupted. <laughs> I am a different person. New creation. The old is gone. Behold, here I am. And man, this guy ain't going away. And you're going to have fun figuring me out. 
I'm a dream weaver. Let's get some dreams going up in this place. The Father makes you beloved sons and daughters in his kingdom. Jesus, the servant-hearted king, makes you heirs and friends and subject to the king to serve like you've never served before. And the Holy Spirit makes you an ambassador. The Spirit of God comes in us to equip us and empower us as ambassadors, missionaries of the kingdom to make you and I a display and declare the gospel of Jesus' kingdom for all to see through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, everybody, get over here, kingdom. This is what it looks like. Put on your cape. Let's go, baby. Two things come into focus when we understand our gospel identity. The gospel becomes the primary motivation for your life. And we got to get there. I know it's been going a long time, but listen, we got to get here. Because I'm giving you the whole backstory for where we're going to go tonight and tomorrow morning. Your whole focus has got to be the kingdom. And it's got to be the gospel. And it's got to be your identity as a son and a daughter and an heir. That you are royalty. That you, that God has put all things under your feet. Mission is intrinsic to who you are. You know, intrinsic, it's in you. You can't You can't, it's not something you do, it's something you are. It's in you. You can't just make up that. The Bible, in fact, says you're salt and you're light. That's intrinsic. Kingdom people are light. You can't hide the light. It's in you. You got to let it out. Unless you keep going over here to empire. Or you forget where your home is. Wesley, where do I live? Oh, I live over here with Jesus. Because home is in his presence. Listen. Mission's intrinsic to you. You are the salt that prevents the rot in our world. You are the salt that prevents the rot in this world. That's why he's making a new creation. It's rotting and we're rescuing and we're preventing it. We're keeping it, packing it up and getting it over here. You have a contribution. Every one of us has a contribution. You make it in this world. You make it every day. And when you show up and bring it to others around you, Something happens in the world. We start fulfilling the directives of God for our life. I'm going to talk about those tonight. I'm going to skip over it right now. Just remember, I'm going to talk about three directives that God has given us as part of how our contribution comes in. 
I'm going to close this way. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah 61. And because I've been talking to you a lot about this new creation, I think it's really important that you understand Isaiah 61 in light of what Isaiah the prophet was trying to tell us about this new creation, this place that was created for you and I. Okay? So can I get you to buckle in and give me real focus for like five minutes and then we'll, we'll be we'll done for this morning. Okay? Y'all with me okay? I know there's a lot of movement and a lot of distractions, but I'm just asking you, can we just focus for a minute? In Isaiah 61... The prophet, I'm going to do this really fast. The prophet offers a vision to us. A vision of a restored world where the land is full of abundance. It's full of right relationships between people. And there's a new garden of Eden. Israel, who the prophet is speaking to, at this time has been conquered is being ruled by other empires. They've been reduced to a powerless nation full of grief and mourning. But among this mourning, there are small groups of people who have not lost hope in God's promise. Is that you? The passage, Isaiah 61, is written in three main sections, okay? Three main sections. It begins with the Spirit of the Lord, Yahweh, is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me. And it says that through God's Spirit, He's going to bring seven acts of new creation. Okay? Here they are. I'm going to run through them real quick for you. Number one, to bring good news to the oppressed. That's new creation. Number two, to bind up the brokenhearted. That's new creation. If you're thinking about what's, who am I, what's my contribution, what's my mission in life, you're created for this. That's why this is so important. This is how we bring new creation right now. Good news to the oppressed. Bind up the brokenhearted. Three, release captivity and those who are bound up. Lady Liberty, would you stand up and help me? We got to set some people free. I need some lady liberties for new creation. Number four, proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor. Now this is a reference to the practice of the year of Jubilee. And we know what Jubilee is, right? Practice of every seven years where everyone or everything was reset, right? That meant that Slaves and prisoners gain freedom. All debts are canceled. Woo, I want to live like that, man. No, I'm just, <laughs> woo, what a, this is, this is, this is definitely Eden. Um, slaves and prisoners gain freedom. All debts are canceled. Families receive back their ancestral lands and a sign, all of that, a sign that points toward the new renewed creation. But, it says, it's also called the day of vengeance. How can it be all that good and still vengeance? Well, let me tell you why. Because if you set everything right that involves reversing everything that's wrong, 
for those who benefit from the oppression of the unjust social arrangements that exist in the empire, Jubilee just might feel more like retribution than restoration. Number five, seven again, seven acts of new creation. Number five, comfort to those who mourn. Looking for some comfort, man. Who's comfort, man? Provide new clothes, not just any clothes. Garments of praise. Why? Because he's raising up a priestly priesthood. Ah, wait a minute. You mean I can't subcontract that to Adam? Well, he's supposed to be lead elder among all these guys, and he's our pastor leader, right? Yeah, he's all those things, but you're a freaking priest too. So get dressed up. Let's go, baby. Quit. quit. We got to stop looking at everybody else to do what we, we don't want to necessarily do because that means I got to get up out of empire and come over here in kingdom and I got to own my sonship and got to come home to the father. That's a lot of work. Is it really work or is it just you submitting and a decision right now? And so he's wanting to put on some priestly garments on every single one of you. And the last one, the seventh one is, I love this one. It was one of my favorite ones. Anointing oil. Anointing oil is placed on those who are mourning. Why? Because we're all in mourning right now because new creation isn't done. But he's anointing a new crew. And guess who the crew is? The crew be you. The anointing oil that he talks about there is to anoint you, ones who will share his mission. His mission, in case we forgot, is to spread the life of New Eden and will be called Oaks of Righteousness a display of his beauty. Then the middle section of Isaiah 61. And this passage in the middle, it says, it talks about the role that these anointed ones will have in the world. That's you, remember? You're the anointed ones. Yes. It says, our mission is to bring restoration and they will build the ruins of the old they will reestablish the former deserted places and they will renew the devastated cities and the distorted or deserted places. New creation, new Eden. That's, that's why he's anointing you with the oil and calling you, you're my oaks of righteousness. You're my display of beauty to help do this work. Oh, man. And in the final part of the section, God himself speaks. And you know what he says? He said, their seed will be known among the nations. That means your children. You're, you're, you stepping into your true identity means that it secures the blessing and the favor of your offspring. 
the people all, those who see them, will recognize them, your children, that they are the seed. This is the seed that's going to become a new garden, bringing life to the world. Now, the third and final part of this verse. It concludes with the Messiah himself celebrating. I see him punching his fist in the air. He's celebrating, okay? He's celebrating, and this is what he's celebrating. He's celebrating new creation because it's depicted in this third section as a great wedding feast where God's generous love is shared with all. The world and all that bring us to the garden. And this is no ordinary garden. It says in Isaiah, in this third section, it says, the plants there, they sprout righteousness. So the new creation will be a garden of renewed relationships among all the nations. And you know what that is? That's thy kingdom come. That's how we get, we pull heaven down. When we know who we are, we understand we're sons and daughters, we're heirs, we don't belong to Egypt, we're not an empire, we're a kingdom. And the Father has given you what you need. He's anointed you to stand in this land. And he wants to bless your offspring. You are sons and daughters. Jot this down. I'm just going to call it out over you. You are sons and daughters. Say it with me. I'm a son and a daughter. I'm an heir of the kingdom of God. I'm an heir of the kingdom of God. I'm an oak of righteousness. I'm a gardener in the new garden. I'm a lover who stewards my contribution. Now I'm going to ask you to do two things between now and tonight. And I want you to write these two things down. I'm going to ask you to think about, and if you have a little free time, even write a little bit on this. The first one is this. I want you to answer this question. What's my contribution? A contribution is when you show up, it's what comes out. And sometimes it's hard to see the thing that you bring. So somebody in this room who knows you, you might have to go, man, help me. What, what do you see in me? What comes out when I show up? And this is important because we have to know where we begin and where we end. I hold my hand. I hold my hands like this. This is where I begin. This is where I end. And I'm content. I'm content and committed to bringing my contribution. And why is that so important? Because when you bring your contribution, you're not bringing somebody else's contribution. And a lot of people check out and don't bring their contribution because somebody else is already bringing their contribution. 
But you're bringing something. Why? Because it was expected of you to bring it. Because we need somebody doing that thing. So I'm showing up. I'm probably not even good at it. I don't even really, I'm not the best person to do it, but I'll do it because nobody else is doing it. And so then we start performing and doing the thing that we're not in order to try to please everybody and be what we're not. When all God is asking you to be is be who you are. Know what your contribution is. It's enough. First search. I want you to work on that today. What is your contribution? And the second one is this. This one, I think, is easier. What is the pain in this world that you identify with? What is the pain in this world that I identify with? Another way, there's lots of ways I could say that, but I'm I'm just going to tell you for me. I want to alleviate poverty. Poverty is the the pain in this world that breaks my heart. Now, there are a lot of things that I could get, like, oh, we, we need to do that. But there's just something about alleviating poverty that the, that's something the Father has just put in me at a deep, a deep thing here. I would love to hear, I'd love for you to be able to articulate what is the pain that's provoking you? What is the pain? And, and it's yours. It's what you see. It's not what he sees or she sees. It's your. What is the thing that God went? I want you to look at this. There's a reason why the Lord did that. There's a reason why I'm being invited into the state of Tennessee by the governor to tackle 40 counties the, the poorest counties, and to come up with a collective impact model where we can start stewarding the dreams of the poorest of the poor of Tennessee. Because that's, that's who I am. That's what I see. I love doing it. I'm going to put on my cape, and I'm going to fly to Tennessee. More to come on that. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today as we have fun, as we eat and break bread together. Help us, Lord to come alive. Help us to put away our Egypt. Help us to come home. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.